Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Power Hour. It's been a little bit, Steve. Uh, Ray Russell here, along with Steve Ekstat. And uh, we're going to be covering the AEW Full Gear show that just took place over this past weekend, November 7th. Steve, welcome back to the Power Hour. Uh, happy to be here, man. And they thought we only did WWF and NWA slash WCW. Hmm. Yeah. Shame on them. Well, I, <laughs> at this point, you have me wishing that uh, I maybe was stuck to the WWF and WCW, at least for now. And I'm a territory connoisseur at heart. So that's, that's my bread and butter when we get there. But right now we're doing AEW and Steve, you kind of talked me into this. I was iffy. Uh, I'll tell you guys a little background real quick in my history with AEW. I was completely behind it. 100%. I am old school, but I also believe that the, that the WWE absolutely needs a rival organization right now, not just to make the WWE product better, but to give us fans something different to watch. So I fully supported AEW when they went to TNT. And uh, for the first several weeks, uh, I kept making excuses for them. Now, don't get me wrong. They had a fun segment here or there, a fun match here or there, but there were certainly a lot of flaws. And I gave them an opportunity as a fan to take several months to work the kinks out. And then COVID hit. And then I gave them a few more months to work the kinks out. And it's just, it's, I've drawn the conclusion now after a year uh, of television that there are just certain things that are going to continue no matter what. There are certain gimmicks that just don't change. They don't evolve. They remain the same. And I don't know. There's, I'll, I'll touch on all that as we go along through the pay-per-view. You have anything you want to add before we get going here? Uh, I, I was on board with AEW as well when they first started. Um, I'm old. I'm older now, so like just having a time on TV where I'm just dedicated to watch, like I, I can't do that anymore. Um, with kids and things like that, and just other interests, I'm not dedicated. I can't dedicate any time to any television, so I can't say I watched a lot of AEW TV. I did buy their first three or four pay per views. Um, had my friends over and hung out, and enjoyed the product for the most part. I mean, it was entertaining. But yeah, I have I can't say I've followed it or, or anything like that. It's just it's not my style. And, I, and like I said, like you said, we'll get into that as we go along here. It, it's just it leaves a lot to be desired for myself. Yeah, I think every fault and flaw that AEW has is touched upon in a majority of these matches. So I don't think we're gonna miss anything if we just kind of pick it apart as we go along. And again, my intention uh, in doing this is is not to trash AEW. I want it to succeed, but in its current product, I have to wonder other than that niche audience, how well they're going to succeed in the long run. And again, we'll touch on that as we get going and we're going to kick things off. Steve, did you have the opportunity to watch any of the pre-show? I watched it initially on Saturday night. Um, It was basically, it was kind of going in and out for me. So I didn't really get a chance to fully dive into it and enjoy the match. Uh, so I can't really comment on it. Okay. Uh, I, I was really referring more to the MMA style uh, interviews and storylines that they, the, the vignettes that they do to put together the, the big fight feel for the matches on the pay-per-view. Did you get a chance to, I'm sure you've seen that on past AEW pre-shows perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those. I thought he was referring to the match. Sorry about that. No, no I didn't. All I seen on the pre-show was the match when I was able to sit down and tune in for what was available, it, it was at the match. And then it, that was essentially it. So, um, it, it kind of went to the show after the match. So uh, I didn't get a chance to see them, but I'm assuming they're the same sort of video packages that they used to, mm-hmm. 
hype the matches during the show. Right. So, yeah, I, I enjoy those for sure. And uh, they're very social media happy, AEW. They like to give away the the Dark show, I think, on YouTube. I've never actually watched it, but, I mean, I think it's pretty cool that they do things like that. And they also give away their buy-in, what they call their buy-in, which is their pre-show, on their YouTube channel live. So I was able to, to catch this. It's the first time I've watched it from beginning to end, the pre-show. I just, I just can't do the pre-show. Not just... AEW, but WWE, it's just, it, other than the, the match, when they throw a match on, I'm fine with that, but I just can't do all of these um, endless videos, but I think the AEW really has the WWE beat here, the way they set up these promos and these vignette, these videos and things, hyping the pay-per-view, so job well done so far, and uh, you were talking about the, the women's match that also took place on the pre-show, I'll just uh, skim over that real quick, because it really was a nothing match, no offense to the ladies involved. NWA Women's Champion out here, Serena Deeb, over Allison Kay with the Serenity Lock. And then we've seen Thunder Rosa, who I really didn't know a whole lot about her. I, I'm really in the dark when it comes to all these minor league. I, I know I'm going to get a lot of <laughs> send your hate tweets to me, folks. Um, these lower tier NWA, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling. I don't know a whole lot of the stars there now. I know the name. I read a lot. I just don't see a lot. And so Thunder Rosa is the former NWA Women's Champion. I guess Deeb had just beat her recently. And she's out here after the match to confront Serena Deeb over the belt. Match went about ten and a half minutes. Gave the girls plenty of time to showcase the NWA and themselves here on the pre-show, which I thought was really cool that they're doing things like that for these other promotions, getting them involved, especially with the whole COVID thing going on. Yeah, I know all the rumors with the NWA is kind of in rough shape. Billy Corgan's group down there in Atlanta. But um, yeah, it's cool that they're allowing these people to come on and, and work. Uh, Serena Deeb was the girl that was in uh, CM Punk stable yeah. who shaved her head. Right. Um, so she's she's made a comeback. Uh, she was pretty good from what I did see of the match. Uh, she was pretty solid. Some solid moves and just uh, she looked pretty good. Um, and I know Thunder Rosa has been in the, in the news lately as far as possibly joining WWE. Maybe AEW. I, I don't know. Um, but she's she said she's a year away from her contract expiring with NWA, so I, I don't know what she's doing there. But all in all, not a terrible match, but it's the pre-show. Yeah, and we're going to get going with the pay-per-view because we only got an hour to get this in. But I, I will say two things real quick about the NWA. A, you would figure in a studio wrestling setting where you don't need a lot of fans, this would be the, the perfect time for the NWA to really be pumping out those power shows. And B and this is more important to me anyway, Billy Corgan owns so much NWA footage and and rights now. He should be out there putting that stuff out and making some money off that in the old school fans instead of uh, letting letting the current NWA fall under because they he doesn't want to run shows right now. I'm not going to fault him for his beliefs or whatever he's doing here with the whole coronavirus situation. But I mean, dude. You have so much old footage. Get that out there. Let's see some of that on there. I'll pay for it. Right, absolutely. And we're going to kick off the show, and the pay-per-view starts, full gear starts, and it's Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, that schmuck Excalibur, and Don Callis from Impact Wrestling joins commentary. So it's not a four-man booth all night, but that's how they open the show, and I just cringed immediately. I do not need four guys in the announce booth especially to kick off the pay-per-view. 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, when the hell did Don Callis join? Because I knew he was like, he's like the executive vice president uh, of Impact and like the lead booker and, right. and things like that there. And um, so I was, I was surprised to see him here, but they did mention that uh, per Omega's request, they asked him to join per his request. So I'm a huge fan of Cyrus, Don Callis, whatever you want to call him. I, I think he's an excellent play-by-play guy, color man. Um I really enjoyed his work in ECW, and I don't think he got a fair shake in the WWF. But uh, initially, I was like, oh, man, four people. This is going to be brutal. And then halfway through the match, I'm like, man, Don Callis is really doing his best to add to this match. I thought he was the best dude in this whole match as far as commentary goes. Yeah, uh, you you can find some diamonds in the rough in his commentary. Not not just here, I mean, in AEW, but in the past. Unfortunately, like you said, uh, handed... <laughs> Handed some uh, bad stuff in the WWF, and honestly, I hated the whole cen- the uh, censorship gimmick in ECW and the, the whole TNN thing. So that was no good. That was a no go for me, also. So he was kind of always stuck in things that I just I just didn't care for. But I thought he did okay here. And we kick things off in the ring. Well, we don't kick things off in the ring. We kick things off with two uh, well endowed ladies walking out with brooms. Yes, I said brooms. No, not modern day brooms. Just old timey, old fashioned straw brooms and they do some sort of dance routine uh, <laughs> right in the aisle way. yes you heard me right with brooms because the cleaner kenny omega's coming to the ring what did you think of this i love the girls i hated the gimmick i thought it was terrible i don't like the music i didn't like the <laughs> video um i was wondering the same thing like what the hell are these women doing out here with the brooms it didn't make it I, you just you now tell me he's the cleaner I totally forgot about that because he's kind of given up on that uh, since he's been in AEW. But yeah, just just brutal, stupid. It came off very B-rate. Like uh, you could you couldn't find something worse than this on on your local indie show. I mean, I, I could no, I could hire a couple people to come out and, and sweep the broom. So that's what we get there. Maybe maybe they wouldn't have as uh, large of, of chess, but uh, otherwise, yeah. <laughs> anybody could have done this it was it was really really low rent uh to say the least and the match though however that was that was a completely different story this was unfortunately though you kick a show off with something like this and how do you follow it it's one of those matches where you basically do everything you can do uh and you're opening the show it was good but where does this leave the rest of the card we see all sorts of spot fest in the ring lots of big moves the pop-up powerbomb on the ramp in the first match on the show. And the dude gets up from that. And then we go into the finish. They start trying to do one another's moves and they go for their own moves. And the V trigger ends it finally clean and no kind of out here for Adam page is Kenny Omega gets the win match went about 16 and a half minutes. My issue with this was it, it was fine as a wrestling match. I had no problem with it, I guess, but to open the show with a pop-up power bomb on the ramp, I, I don't know where do you go from there with everyone else that has to follow you. And that becomes an issue as the show continues on. And then my other thing here is you could have saved face with Adam page. Had he done the job here with his foot under the rope, the old flare and steamboat or, or very take your pick, other things like that. I'm not saying Omega shouldn't have went over, but just leave something there to be able to bring this back or, or save Adam page for a future date. What did you think of the match? Uh, I thought the match was solid. I'm not a huge fan of Kenny Omega. 
his mannerisms and the way he sells and just the the sticking the fingers out the way he does his hands and things like that i don't know there's something about him bothers me i'm not saying it's not a bad match at all the tiger driver 98 is an awesome move by the way and again like you said that pop-up power bomb it sounded brutal on that ramp once it hit there you heard the thud and there's like no give and me personally I, i like adam page more so than kenny omega i think um and i understand why they went with omega just because it's the story that they wanted to go to from the get-go, and it kind of goes back to Omega getting screwed out of a title match or whatever it was, the big win against Moxley because they made it lights out, so it didn't necessarily count. Um, so it's just coming back full circle, and it is what it is. And I think the reason the ending was so clean and just you know no out really is because it was the finale of a tournament uh, to determine the number one contender. So I think they don't. I will say AEW doesn't like to devalue uh, their gimmicks, so to speak, or what they're trying to put over. And since this was a tournament to determine the number one contender, they probably wanted it on the up and up with no shit finish just to save somebody like Adam Page. I mean, he made the finals. He put on a hell of a match, and he just got caught with the one-winged angel. So um, I feel like he's secure in his spot. So I, I didn't really have an issue with the finish at all. Yeah, I mean, I've heard Omega talked up for years. I haven't watched all of his stuff over in Japan, so I've only seen bits and pieces. For me, this was probably Omega's best match so far in AEW that, that I can recall anyway. I thought they work well together, uh, but Paige, I think, is the future star here. I just, I don't get it. I'm fine with Kenny Omega wrestling, but I don't get it. Like, I don't see it. I'm not, I don't see main eventer. I, I don't. And as Jim Cornette refers to him, the Harpo Marks lookalike, which he really does. And once, <laughs> once you hear that, you can't unsee it. And, uh, and you pointed out that the little finger motions he does, uh, Jim Cornette also has dubbed those jazz hands. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and looking back on it now, just from seeing what he's doing in AEW, I think a lot of the credit needs to go to the other side of this, the trilogy. And I, I think it's Okada that really made Omega. It wasn't right. the other way around. Right. Um, Okada's just next level. And this is it, Omega's AEW runs kind of proving that, so to speak. Next match was the originally scheduled to be the pre-show match before it was uh, bumped up and put on the pay-per-view like a day before the ma- uh, actual pay-per-view. It's, Freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy taking on the Dark Order's John Silver, or number four. Match goes about ten minutes. And before I give you my thoughts here, what did, what were your thoughts on this one? To be honest with you, man, the first thing that I noticed with this match is when they're all three standing there at the beginning of the match and they're kind of walking together. The ref, talking, about, talking about Cassidy and the Cass- uh, best friends? No, no, no. They're in the ring. They're about okay. to start the match. So Cassidy's on the left, Silver's on the right, the ref's in the middle. Okay, the ref, uh, okay. And they're kind of walking. So he's like kind of stopping. He's doing the hand gimmick into the pockets where he's teasing it, mm-hmm. and Silver's getting pissed as he gets closer. The one thing that stood out to me is that all three of those guys, including the referee, look the exact same size. And I'm not I'm not a size mark or, or anything like that. It's just it's just weird to see the referee about the same size as, as somebody that's in there working. Maybe I'm just old school. Maybe I'm just trained for WWE or whatever. It just threw me off a little bit. But I, I'm not I, – I, my notes here says I'm not sure how I feel about Orange Cassidy. I, I've seen him put on really good matches. I've seen the gimmick work, especially his match. I think it was against Jericho. I really enjoyed that match because he was forced to work a little longer and evolve and do things. But um, – 
I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Orange Cassidy after watching this match. Yeah, my notes for this one were, I'll start with the entrances. I don't get the best friends group. I get Orange Cassidy. I don't get the other two. They're not over. They have one good spot where they hug and they do the pan out with the camera. And that's not even wrestling related. And then the Dark Order, they're even less over. So I, I got it done without pretty much everyone in this entire match and surrounding <laughs> this entire match besides Orange Cassidy. And I'll tell you this, because like I said, I'm completely out of the loop with the, the indie circuit these days. Do they still call it an indie circuit? Probably not. I really sound old now. But I'm really out of the loop with a lot of these guys. So when I saw a vignette uh, hyping him, I started doing some research on Orange Cassidy. Went online, watched some matches. Really impressed with his actual wrestling stuff. I also found his bit pretty comical. Not comical to where it ruins the business, but I found it comical enough that I enjoyed it. So when he debuted and started doing this routine, I was behind it. But the routine never really seemed to change. We get the pockets. I get that. I'm not arguing that. But beyond that, it's the same routine. It's the, uh, the wind-up super kick, if you will, the, the little kicks to the shins. I'm fine with that, but that's all he does. I know he does the kip up and every once in a while the, the suicide dive. But other than that, like, what else do you got? You've had a year in AEW. I'm not even talking about, but prior to AEW, you've had a year to come up with something different, something new. And he's one of the guys I've been waiting around on, making excuses for. And at this point, after like a year of this, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that this is what we're going to get. It's never going to change. I hope I'm wrong. And I'm still, I'm still in support of Orange Cassidy. So just hang on there, everyone, all you AEW fans out there. But I'm growing more and more concerned as the weeks progress. I'm seeing the same exact thing. Uh, now, on the other end, this John Silver guy, he's apparently like really over with the Young Bucks, which is why he's getting this push and being put on TV. I guess he's like head comedian underneath the Young Bucks and they're like comedian touring troupe or whatever the hell it is they do on their YouTube or whatever. The, I don't even know what the hell it all is, but they love him. They think he has great charisma. I don't see it here. I, and I and I heard this shit about him after the fucking pay-per-view. So I didn't even know this. I come in here. All I see is a jacked up midget in here against Orange Cassidy. And I gave the guy the benefit of the doubt. Can he work? Okay, great. Let's watch it. And he did the double bicep pose at least 86 times in this match after every move. But it wasn't like he was doing it on purpose. It just felt to me like he was lost and he had no idea what to do. So he just kept busting out the double bicep pose like, it was overdone. It was done ad nauseum. I mean, it was just like after everything he did, it, this, this match to me was not a good match. And I, it, you, you might disagree, and I'll, I'll, I'll get your opinion here in a minute. And that's fine if other people like it. But I literally went online like the day after the pay-per-view, and I was just curious. So I'm like, is it me? And I looked up two guys. I won't name their names. I, I went on two websites. I looked up two reviews from two guys that do a lot of reviews. They praised both guys and this match went so much as to give it like three and a half, almost damn near four stars for this. Uh, basically, it was supposed to be a pre-show encounter. I didn't really see it. The only thing I got on this match that I, I thought was pretty clever was when Silver, and he's not long John Silver, he's short John Silver, by the way. He rips the pockets off of Orange Cassidy, which at least psychology wise, that's, you know, that's his, uh, you know, that's Orange Cassidy's gimmick. That's great. That makes sense. You ripped his pockets off, but now you've also taken that away from Orange Cassidy's gimmick. So uh, now he's, we, we know we're not getting any more pocket routine 
for the rest of the, the match. So I don't know. What did you think of this one? It was kind of just there. I, I too was bored with the overselling, like every move flexing and things like that. Um, with you, he kind of did look lost. He didn't know what he wanted to do with his offense. Um, and it was kind of just going from point A to point B. And in between there, he's just flexing to kill time because uh, he didn't know really how to put a match together. I, I thought he was solid. And he has a, he does have a good look, uh, kind of in that, you know, just that short, compact type of dude that can throw some guys around and, and show off his power a little bit. But um, this match was kind of just there. I don't know what how to feel about either guy, to be honest with you, after this match. I don't know. I know we've talked about this on the grenade with the NW89, how Sting cuts promos where he just acts like, I'm just a dude in the ring having fun, lackadaisical, and doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Orange Cassidy has that presence here, and it's like, if you don't care about what's going on, why should I care? I know it's your gimmick, and I get that, but it doesn't feel like you care too much, so why should I care too much? You know, it's psychological type deal for me, I guess. But And I know Meltzer praises the hell out of Orange Cassidy because he got over with PWG. And according to the Melts, PWG, if you get over there, you can get over anywhere, supposedly. But, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I'm just not a – I guess I'm not a fan of Orange Cassidy. Well, uh, time will tell with me. So far, uh, I'm, I'm seesawing, teeter-tottering. I'm not really sure what's going on in that department. But Orange Cassidy does get the win here. Match went 9 minutes and 40 seconds. 10 minutes, and it was just very bland. And to follow the match that it followed, Omega and Page, it's just poor placement on the card as well to boot. And, uh, yeah, just not not very good. I mean, I, I, I'm i sorry to everyone out there that rated this like four stars, but I don't know what the hell you guys are on. You guys are drinking that freaking AEW Kool-Aid. Pretty much. They probably gave Bailey and Sasha like three stars because they messed up the kendo stick spot <laughs> <laughs> we move on to the tnt title match it's cody rhodes who's recently regained the title from uh, luke harper mr brody lee we get arn anderson and the entire cody family out there and by family i'm I, i'm not even sure what the hell this is about but we get dustin rhodes makes sense we get his wife out there brandy makes sense arn anderson's out there with his denny's menu okay but then there we there's that qt marshall billy guns out there i I didn't need this shit. And then on the other end, we have Darby Allen, who's coming out in a car, and he gets up on top of it with his uh, skateboard and then bu- busts out the windshield with his skateboard. I really didn't understand the point of all of that. Was there a story behind that that I missed? or uh, wh- What's the deal with that? If I remember correctly, Darby Allen, I don't know if it was a brother, cousin, something, died in a car accident with him his in the car. His father, I didn't say, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm assuming that has something to do with it. I don't know. But I think there was a ah. thing yeah, where he was using that car as well. So, um, we know what happens post match, but yeah, I don't, other than that, I don't really know. So, I want to touch, before I talk about the match, I want to touch on Arn Anderson here because I do not, for under any circumstances, like Arn Anderson as a baby-faced manager. I don't like baby-faced managers in general unless they're like, I don't know, Missy Hyatt. But here we got Arn Anderson, so I'm not a big fan. I don't like him with Cody. I don't like him with the Denny's menu that he sits there and he's got game strategies on. But I'll say this. Arn is the exact opposite of Tully Blanchard here in AEW. I don't know if Tully's just here to collect a paycheck uh, when he does decide to show up, but he just stands there. And the FTR matches, the Ty Dillinger matches whatever. 
at least Arn, in this match anyway, he was instructing Cody. He was yelling at Cody. He was advising him. He was getting frustrated when Cody wasn't listening. He was acting like he gave a shit. He was acting like a real manager. So kudos to Arn Anderson for doing that. Do I like Arn out there as a babyface manager? No. But I applaud him for at least doing what he can to get over with what he has. So uh, I'll give Arn props here, even if I don't like the whole, whole storyline with working as a babyface manager. Now, as for the match, I thought there was good psychology here. There's no shocker with Cody Rhodes involved that he understands how to put a match together. He gets it. So Cody plays the cocky veteran, not a heel, but a cocky veteran. And it's almost like he takes, I don't want to say he takes Allen too lightly, but it's almost like he's always a step ahead of Allen. And he, and he shows it in his fa- face, facial features and mannerisms and things. The story they tell on the other end, though, Darby Allen, if you watched their last match, and I don't know if you, you got to see their last match, but the story here, basically, they try to repeat some of the same spots, some of the mistakes Allen made last time. He didn't necessarily make them here this time. So maybe he moved from something that he walked into last time. Maybe he went for something last time that he missed. And this time he took an extra special care to make sure not to miss the move or, or to work around it. So they play up some spots from their previous encounter, which I thought was pretty cool. When done right, that's okay. Uh, Darby doesn't make the same mistakes twice. Good storytelling there. What did you think of the layout of the match? I thought it was good. Like you mentioned, Cody and psychology go hand in hand. He's one of the best at doing it. Uh, He knows how to tell a story in the ring that you can pick up on and follow. So in that aspect, it was a really good match. I I really like Darby Allen. He he works so fast, but he doesn't mess up. And I don't think I've seen him make a mistake, even though he's going out there like 100 miles per hour. Uh, The one concern I have with him is he needs to – he needs to cut it out with some of these spots he does yeah. because he, he's not going to last very long. No, that, that was um, so another thing. That was another thing that concerned me on the pre-show, the vignette that they, that they shot the video, the, the feud video with whatever you want to call it for Cody and Allen, since you did you weren't able to see it. Um, they have Darby Allen hanging out with Tony Hawk and Steve O in like uh, skateboarding and things. So once I saw Steve O there, I'm like, this is not good. And of course, they show Darby Allen in a body bag rolling down a skateboard ramp or jumping off a skateboard ramp or something along those lines. And I'm like, why, why are you doing this yeah. for a video? Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, it's not going to last long. Just from some of the spots he's had in these matches. Um, I think he took a power bomb from maybe Brian cage while in that. Body yes. Bag. Uh, uh, out of the yeah. ring, onto the ramp. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just, I get it. You're young and invincible, buddy. But man, 35 is coming at you fast, and it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna feel every bit of that. Um, but I will say, I want to say this. This is when I got annoyed with Excalibur. I, I, I oh, thought boy. I liked him from the very first time I heard him on AEW. I thought I liked him, but after about 30 minutes of listening call matches mm-hmm. and he, how he calls the moves, like every single move has the exact name. Oh my god! And um, it drives me insane. He sounds smart and knows his stuff, but it comes across as snobbish more than just calling a match. Yeah, um, yeah. It just feels like he's being a wrestling snob. Like, oh, I know the proper name. Like, Tope Suicida. Like, dude, it's a suicide dive. What, don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. And um, we're three matches in, and I'm tired of Excalibur already. Man, he needs to go away. Well, the problem starts with all of the indie guys having to name all 46 of their, their, their moves. And then he, he goes off and he learns all of these stupid names for all these stupid moves. So instead of a clothesline, you know, it's a, 
Australasian, you know, suicide flippy arm gimmick, you know, or whatever. It's <laughs> everything has a name and it takes away from the match because they're already in the next spot and he's not done, you know, calling the, the last spot, you know, whatever stupid name it has. And if you're not paying attention yeah. to every move, if you're looking over, you know, something or you're doing something, you're trying to listen to the call of the match and he's doing that. You don't even know what the hell you just missed. And then Jr. and Tony, they're completely uh, aloof to these names as well and i can't blame them you you can sit here all day well they're old timers they need to get with the pro no a clothesline's a clothesline a boot's a boot i get a wrestler wanting to name their finisher maybe a signature if they have a gimmick and it it requires them to have you know another man you don't need 17 moves with 17 names per wrestler you know a monkey flips a monkey flip you know unless you're joey styles (laughs) joey styles handled it really well uh, in the ECW, because I know some of those guys had, like you said, 20 different moves. Like, wham, bam, thank you, man. Like, Danny Doring had six moves that Styles called every time, but it right. wasn't – he was just getting the gimmick across. That was – that was what's Danny Doring's gimmick. Right. This is just every single match, he has to call the name by its actual name, the actual move name, instead of just a basic, oh, it's a dive to the outside. Like, that's all I need to hear. I don't need to hear Tope Suicida. And then six moves has already happened since then. Garbage. Yeah. I th- I think he's gotten heat. I think uh, Tony and Jim, Abol- or especially Jim Ross, has ribbed him in the past on things like that. But it does get very annoying, especially on a four-hour show like this. And I agree with you. Like, when everything first started, you kind of need that Mike. T- I hate to l- lump him in with Mike Tanay, but Mike Tanay saved oh. WCW during the whole Lucha Japanese cruiserweight, all of that stuff. When they all came in, Mike Tanay, he they needed him. If they didn't have him, they're screwed on commentary to get all that oh, stuff yeah. over. So you kind of need that guy that knows the indies to get this stuff over. But he's doing it in a condescending way, whether he knows it or not. I have no idea. Maybe he doesn't. But just rattling all this nonsense off, and then there's a point. There's actually two or three times in this show where I feel like he's reading a script. Like he's telling a story that goes on so long that it's like Jim Ross has to cut him off because there's a fucking match in the ring, you moron. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I picked up on those things too. So crossroads well, off the top rope by Cody Rhodes. Coffin drop. Was awesome. Coffin drop. He missed it last time. This time he hits it and he doesn't get the win. Why? That should be it every time when he hits that. If somebody kicks out of that, it should be you know a year or two from now if he's still working, if he's still able to get around the ring anyway. <laughs> you know That's a move you need to sell. And so I wasn't happy. If he was going to go over, that would have been the perfect time to go over, in my personal opinion. Instead, we wind up with a back-and-forth pinning combination situation, which I was okay with too, but one or the other. I didn't like how they, they did both. I, I almost would have liked to seen it reverse. These guys are exchanging moves or exchanging pinfall combinations. Allen maybe hits them with something, hits the coffin drop, gets the win, or maybe you you save the, the pinning combinations for another match down the line. Either way, though, that is the finish. Hits the coffin drop. Cody kicks out. We go into pinning combinations back and forth. Darby Allen gets the win, and Darby Allen wins the TNT Championship. Yeah, I actually like the finish. I'm with you, though. The coffin drop need to be protected a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But um, I like the finish because I've never seen that actually be a finish. You know, you see the pin spots and they just keep going and going. And then they finally just get back to their feet. And, you know, you probably have three or four more minutes of a match. Whereas this just kind of caught him off guard. And it plays into the story that Cody was playing the whole match where 
he just wasn't taking him as serious as he probably should have. Um, yeah, they got plenty of time here. It. Yeah, go ahead. I got to mention this. You can call me petty all you want, but I feel like I've lost all interest in, in Cody after the neck tattoo. It, it just throws me off. No, and I, get I just it. look at him in a completely different light, and I'm just like, man, it sucks. But I get why he did it, and somebody pointed out on Twitter why he did it. He's putting his life, his career, his everything on the line with this company, and he wants the world to see it. So I get that; it makes sense. And it, it's just Cody being Cody, but man, it just takes away from him. To yeah, me, you, you pay me seven or eight figures in a contract that says you know you're going to pay me over X amount of years. I'll put <laughs> put a tattoo on my neck too. So I'll support Cody in that respect. Now, as for the match, uh, I, w- I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was probably the best wrestling match maybe on the card. Uh, wrestling match. I'm not saying spot fest. Now, that opening match was really solid. Back and forth spots. This was a good psychology, well-told story. And that's what I mean here with that. And they got plenty of time to tell it. 17 minutes. The post-match sees Cody Rhodes hand over the title belt to Darby Allen. When Taz interrupts and Taz, you know, he's allowed to cuss here in AEW. So he has to throw in a couple of, of naughty words just for the hell of doing it. And he distracts the two long enough for Ricky Starks and Brian Cage to attack from behind. They lay out Cody Rhodes. They take Darby Allen back to his car. They attempt to slam the car to break Darby Allen's arm in the car door. When uh, big Willie Hobbs runs him off with a chair, just uh, seemed uh, silly when they ran off from a guy wielding a chair after there are two big badasses out there trying to cripple somebody and they, they run away from a chair. I don't know. What did you think of the whole post-match shenanigans? I knew Brian Cage and Taz. I didn't know anybody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who saved Darby Allen. I didn't know who Ricky Starks was. I thought Ricky Starks looked pretty cool um, when he was solid in there. But yeah, it, it kind of looked like they, they got the arm in the door and they were waiting and waiting and waiting for Hobbs to get out there to break it up. Yeah, It, it just felt like they, they was – finagling with his arm to get it in there so to speak they was just killing time because Hobbs it, probably missed his call yeah, yeah it was very reminiscent of like a 1995 lex luger intro it just took forever <laughs> but he did get out there yeah, pretty- you know i didn't know will hobbs either up until uh, the last pay-per-view i think he was part of that royal rumble type match they had there now as for ricky starks that was also my first time seeing him like i said i'm not into all this indie stuff and i don't know these guys too well so i learned him here on the fly as we were watching this I knew I didn't even know anybody else was with Taz. That shows you how close I've been paying attention. We get a promo from the Natural Nightmares. That's QT Marshall and Dustin Rose. They cut a promo backstage talking about the Butcher and the Blade and the Bunny. And I had thought the Bunny had turned back into Allie and it turned, went babyface. And I thought she was with Brandy last time I saw AEW, but I don't watch it every week. So I don't know what the story is here. I don't know if they, how they got her back, what the hell was happening there. Uh, it was just uh, out of nowhere. I saw the pre-show or a promo with them and i go she's a heel again she's the bunny again i was very confused with the whole thing but we learned that the two teams will meet on dynamite uh in a bunkhouse match so maybe some maybe a blade job coming the way and that could be it because not only is dustin rhodes in the match but there's a guy named the blade in the match Uh, you know it's coming (laughs) you know it's coming AEW Women's Championship match. I can't wait for your take on this one. It's, a, it's the champion, Hikaru Shida, taking on Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero. This match got 14 minutes. Oh, Lord. Are you waiting for me to go now? Or? Yeah, yeah. You, I, some, somebody needs to go. I, I'll, I'll wait. Oh, my God. This is uh, 
I'm trying to be nice. It wasn't horrible, but don't it be nice. This is the power hour. These people are paying. <laughs> they are our patrons. They don't want us yeah, to be nice. I mean, if they wanted us to be nice, this was, <laughs> this was shit, man. Um, she was Nyla was gassed probably about eight or nine minutes in. Terrible. She was barely getting up. Garbage. Uh, her selling was was horrible. Shit. Uh, Hikaru Sita is decent. Um, she's pretty good, and I, I think if she's in there with the right opponent, she could be solid. But uh, this match was the shits, and I, I think even Tony Khan mentioned that they they got to do better with their women's division. And yeah, the well, problem is, you could have a decent match in the AEW women's division, and it's gonna kind of it's not gonna come anywhere close to anything WWE's doing uh, as far as their women. I mean, when you got a roster with Sasha, Charlotte, Bailey, Tony Storm, Rhea Ripley. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And Becky Lynch, when she's ready, um, things like that. Like, it's just so far head and shoulders above anything AEW has. It's almost embarrassing how rich the WWE roster is as far as the women go. And uh, I'm sure I mentioned I'm missing a bunch like Io Shirai and Ember Moon. And I mean, you can just keep going. Bianca Belair, mm-hmm. even. I mean, there's just so many good women in WWE that. It just makes the AEW women's matches look bad. They're already bad, and then they just look even worse compared to them. I mean, yeah. it makes Sasha and Bayley look like a six, seven-star match comparing it yeah. to this. And she does solid, uh, but I, I just I can't do this shit with Nyla Rose. I, I just I just can't. It was awful. It was terrible. I don't care what the narrative is. I don't care what story they're trying to tell. You want to, you you know, the whole transgender thing. Hey man, that's, that's fine and dandy, but that doesn't give you the right to go out here and stink up the joint. It's, it was just terrible. Nyla Rose has no athleticism whatsoever. Terrible balance, shoddy work in the ring, just sloppy all over the place. The sad part is God, God bless her. Nyla was actually trying. You could see it on her face. You could see her as she's trying to get from point A to point B in a spot. She was actually trying. And that's, I think, the saddest part. Uh, but it's she's simply not ready for AEW or any big league like AEW. Uh, she would, like you said, she was gassed and she was walking through so many things. That becomes dangerous when they start depending on you to take bumps or land on someone or get over on a move, and you're so gassed you can't even really speed walk. It's it was really noticeable, and there was a a point in the match on the outside where she runs into Vicky, but really it's like Nyla walks into Vicky and Vicky takes the bump. Now I don't know if she was trying to protect Vicky because Vicky's, you know, a little older and maybe she's not used to taking bumps, especially on the floor, but it was pretty terrible. I think she made up for it right after that because she threw her into the, the barricade and she took an upside down flying bump into the barricade. I only good spot of the match outside of uh, the Falcon arrow spot and speaking of the falcon arrow spot i thought that was kind of interesting Sheeta gets in the ring they do the falcon arrow off the ropes and Sheeta picks nyla rose up from the cover i didn't understand that at all i thought nyla rose was the heel so i'm not really sure what the story is there but i also don't get it you do a big move like that you want to do a move in the ring and pick a person up whatever you do a falcon arrow to somebody that size off the ropes and it actually works (laughs) you know you don't screw it up and you you pick right. them up. I mean, I I di- I didn't get that spot when she picked her up from them. I'm like, why well, don't I thought it was over right then and there? Yeah, that should have been the finish. I mean, you pick up Nyla Rose. She's pretty big, and uh, she is smaller 
and you do a falcon arrow off the top rope, middle rope, whatever you want to call it, that should be it. I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I didn't Brutal. get it. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I will say I'm glad that Tony Khan realizes that there's an issue here and he's probably going to do everything he can to address it. But I just don't see it happening. I don't know who else is out there that could even come close to a, a WWE woman wrestler. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Vince or Triple H or whomever has really cornered the market there, and uh, they were very smart because they, they picked them from Europe. They picked them from Australia. They they, they picked them all up. Yeah. Japan. And the, the finish mean, of this. they got Kyrie Sane in their back pocket, too, over yeah. in Japan, so I don't see her ruining that relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, the finish crazy. here, I thought it was flat because she, uh, Sheeta winds up hitting the Falcon Arrow and then does like four or five running knees to Nyla Rose before finally pinning her. All of that, and she gets the win. I think if she had just pinned her with the Falcon Arrow off the ropes, it would have been far more successful with the fans. Like it would, it was much more meaningful than having to beat someone down with re- repeatedly with with like nearly a half dozen knees before you make the cover and get the win. So. I didn't really care for the match. I thought the I thought it was way too long. 14 minutes. Giving these girls 14 minutes to go out there and do this, I don't know whose idea that was. Uh, this could have been done in half that time. Vicky Guerrero yeah. was, was what she was on the floor, and uh, I, hopefully we see Nyla Rose phased out because she is just not ready for AEW-level wrestling. And post-match... We see it. I, I, I'm assuming what's a, a split between Rose and Vicky Guerrero. You actually hear Rose tell Vicky on camera, reminded me of when Ken Shamrock told Ryan Shamrock, slap me. Because you actually see Rose tell Vicky to slap me. So it was like a replay of like 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, with the old Ken Shamrock. <laughs> so, and that's how we end that match, though. Uh, Sheeta retains the title. We go into the AEW tag team title match. I don't understand the finish in this one at all. It's the champions, the FTR, that's the former Revival, taking on the Young Bucks. 28 and a half minutes these guys got. Uh, you, looked at, you look at this on paper, and if you're really sold on the Young Bucks, and I'm not, uh, maybe at one point I, I, I would have expected a five-star here. N- since watching AEW, maybe not so much. They're just, they're just doing spots. The, nobody's really been able to pull the reins on them and, and bring them, obviously because they're corporate, man. Nobody's really trying to pull the reins in on these guys and tell them, let's work some matches. Let's make these things meaningful. Instead, it's like, you know, spot, spot, spot. But here I thought this match was okay. I have a few thoughts, not a whole lot. Uh, but we have Tully Blanchard, who's FTR's manager, banned from ringside. But he's still there. Does that make any sense to you? Typically, when somebody's banned from ringside, you don't really see them walk out first. Then they leave. Then you know they're there. So why aren't they running out in the finish? None of that made any sense right. to me. but. Tully's banned from ringside. That's just to start the match. What'd you think about this one? Uh, there, it was good. I thought the story was good with uh, Matt's ankle uh, that they injured just pat like the Wednesday before. He worked the majority of the match. It felt like they really worked that. The one thing I didn't like was all the tag team finishes that they did. I think they did a heart attack, the, the twist of fate, Swanton, Steiner's uh, bulldog, 3D. The Steiner Bulldog, like every single, like they even did the power plex. It looked like shit because they did the superplex. And then I think it was uh, Wheeler comes off the top with the splash like mm-hmm. two or three seconds later. They, they did almost every wrestling finisher that you can think of from a prominent tag team over the last 30 years. And every single one of them was a false finish. 
Mm-hmm. So to me, it, it just felt like it was, okay, we're going to do these spots because they're cool and the fans are going to pop. Ha ha. Look at that. We got to pop. And um, I, it just, to me, it just like devalues the moves. It makes the guys finishers that they spent years and years building up to be this magnificent finish for a tag team. And these guys just kick out of every single one of them. And uh, that, that bothered me. Um, I didn't care for that at all, but the finish was solid. I, I like it. And you knew that they were going to win because of the, uh, the stipulation they put on it. Cause there's no way they're going to have Cody and the bucks not be able to challenge for these belts ever again. Um, right. And I, I didn't mention that, that that was a stipulation that the bucks lose here. They can never challenge for the tag team titles again, not just FTR. They can just never challenge for the tag team titles ever again in the history of AEW. So they basically, uh, made it to where they, they have to win this, I guess, unless you look for a loophole. But uh, there were some decent spots spots in the match outside of just all the big moves. Uh, Wheeler took a backdrop over the over the corner of the floor. I thought he was going to die. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was, too. That was insane. Yeah, that was crazy. These guys are doing things you never saw them do in WWE or even really in NXT. I think somebody was a voice of reason, and, and I, I feel like since they've been here, They've been doing more in order to try to get themselves over and kind of stick it to the man, stick it to Vince and see, I told you so, you know, we deserve, we deserve to be where we're at, which is the tag team champions, at least kicking off this match anyway. But like you pointed out, we have 106 finishers, 106 false finishes. Uh, we even see the old, they, you know, the revival and I hate to give them shit because they're such a great brain buster esque team, but they've been selling that, that slogan, no flips, just fists. For years now, and we see Wheeler bust out a springboard 450 splash in the middle of the match. Now he does miss it, but there was a flip involved, so I got to give Wheeler a little shit for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, gimmick infringement, or he's not even paying attention to his own gimmick anymore. Yeah, well, <laughs> everything changes. You know, <laughs> AEW is also supposed to be sports oriented as well. So, yeah, yeah, uh huh. And a- all day for that. And we hit all these moves, these heart attacks, these Steiner Bulldogs, the old, uh, like you, you pointed out, the Swanton, all these spots. And 3D, none of these, none of the, yeah, 3D, none of these can get it done. What gets it done? A Young Bucks super kick, baby. That wins the Young Bucks, the tag team championships. No Tully Blanchard. He doesn't run out, even though his team's in trouble, even though they could lose the belts. Hey, if it means he's suspended, he's suspended. If it means he's fined, he's fined. But at least he's doing his job and keeping the belts on his boys. No Tully Blanchard, and we know he's in the arena. I, 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 he should know better than than this. But like I said, I feel like Tully's just here collecting the paycheck. And yeah, the Young Bucks get a win after 28 and a half minutes of every move you could think of, tag team move you could think of. A super kick ends this one. Shawn Michaels would be proud. Yeah, I will say though, like the uh, the match itself, in between all the spots and, and things like that, there was a pretty good story being told. And um, I enjoyed that aspect, but yeah, I mean, I, I started to lose interest in things like that after all the spots and everything. And my, my, my main issue here was you had the revival or FTR come in. They started beating pretty much every team, the TNA or TNA AEW has to offer. And you, you, and you give them the world tag team tells it makes sense, but why give them the belts just to take it right off of them? It's almost like the old Hogan and warrior gimmick. Like, Bring him in so I can get over, brother. That's what it feels like here. The re- FDR had the belts from one pay-per-view to the next. They've already dropped them. I thought for sure when they won those titles, I'm like, now this is going to be a long title run. This is going to be like a year 
title reign. That's that was my thought process. Unless it wasn't working out, maybe they take the belts off of him a little sooner. Okay, but when they first won the titles, I thought this is a change in booking philosophy, especially for tag team wrestling. I thought this was the new you know tag team division. Like maybe AEW is gonna shift into something a little more prominent, uh, other than just having a bunch of teams going out there and doing a bunch of flippies and and guys pinning guys for no reason week to week. And instead, no, one pay-per-view later, they lose the belts, and you've already taken the heat off of them. I don't care if they win them back at next pay-per-view. You've already you've beaten the team that's been unbeaten. Yeah, and I think the rumor is, is they're done with AEW already. That's the rumor going around that I think it was uh, not Wheeler, the other one, Harwood. Okay. He posted, like, mentally and physically exhausted, time to lay lower. So I can't remember the exact wording of the tweet, but it – brought on speculation that they may be wrapped up i think it was just a they have the goal of becoming tag team champions all over the world and so if that's the case then you can't really be at one place for too long so maybe they're off to japan or something like that i don't know so they they got the belts here they get them they drop them back to the bucks which is the match everybody wanted to see that's kind of what they came in for and now they're on their way out so well, that um, makes a little more case, sense. Then, if, that makes that, more sense. Right. If if that's the case, that, that does make a lot more sense. But at the same time, it still feels to me like the Young Bucks got one over on everyone because they beat, you know, FTR, the, the match everybody wanted to see. Now we've seen it, and they've beaten them. They got the win. So yay for them. That's just the Where do you go after that, though? Yeah. Like, after that match. Like, I don't think you, you can't have another match. I mean, it was pretty – it was clean. I mean, you did everything you could possibly do in a tag match. I don't know how you go back to it again. I don't know what story you could tell to where it's bigger than that. Yeah. You really I'll tell can't. you, I tell you what, there's, there's one thing I never want to go back to again. And that's an elite deletion match. At least oh AEW's version of a elite deletion match. I watched Matt Hardy's impact matches, his cinematic impact matches after the fact, maybe the night after the fact or, or the, after it, after it aired, after it got all the big buzz. And I didn't mind those. I found some things humorous in those. I didn't care for his stuff in WWE. And even that, this this Elite Deletion match, this uh, Hardy compound match here between Matt Hardy and, and Sammy Guevara makes the WWE version looks like uh, look like a 10-star match. They get 21 minutes to, to do this shit on the Hardy compound. And for anyone who hasn't seen this, basically Matt Hardy wrestles guys on his land his property and you know it's it's pre-recorded it's filmed like a, a cinematic style like you saw at the undertaker at wrestlemania and things like that and uh, hardy's been clever in the past there's been some things i've ha ha at and i didn't mind there's also parts that are just grown worthy cringe worthy uh but this entire match for me was cringe worthy same here man i oh my god i and i know like i don't want to give like, I don't want to come across like we're just trashing AEW because no. like people probably, oh, you, you watch Hell in a Cell and you found everything good in that. Why aren't you doing the same for AEW? And it, it's not that. Like, I'm just going with what I watched and how I felt watching it. I'm not biased in any sense. Right. This was horrible. And, and, yeah. and to me, I'm not a fan of these cinematic matches. Um, I really enjoyed The Undertaker and AJ Styles because Undertaker looked good. We haven't seen a good looking Undertaker in, in a couple of years, so I was happy to see Undertaker in an environment where he could excel and do well in. Mm-hmm. So I think that was and when you're working with somebody like AJ Styles, he's gonna make you look like a million bucks no matter the situation. Um 
But this was just so far over the top, and I get it, and I understand the Matt Hardy gimmick, and people like it, and I understand that. There was some funny parts here. I love his laugh, and some of the stuff he says is great. But you have this compound. Everything's going fine. You're brawling through the yard and stuff like that. That's fine. Some of those spots, like with the trees, that had to hurt. I mean, you're rubbing his face against a tree, Irish whipping him in. Those things, like, that's believable. And then all of a sudden, you get to the ring, and that's when, you know, Santana and Ortiz show up. They call in private party. Those four get in the ring, and they're putting on an actual wrestling match where they're doing, like, insiguries and arm drag and head scissor takedowns at the same time and doing all their normal spots that you would see in a wrestling match right right in the middle of an elite deletion match and it made absolutely no sense this is a brawl this is a fight this dude damn near killed matt hardy three times over uh not on purpose but just being sloppy himself and right you're gonna go out there and just put on a wrestling match in the middle of a backyard like what the hell is going on yeah and it don't starts even start on the fireworks right and you and <laughs> There's only one way to start a match like this off, and that would have to be with comedy, and that's what they do. They have Sammy Guevara roll up in a golf cart to the front door of Matt Hardy's home, and uh, a drone, it's not Vanguard 1, it's Neo, because if you remember, Vanguard 1 was destroyed. So Neo, the drone, that's uh, Jeff Hardy's middle name, all right? Oh, no, Nero. Nero, Nero sorry. Yeah. But So the drone's out there, and, and it does its epic um, hologram of Matt Hardy. It's kind of like Princess Leia in, in Star Wars. And he's speaking with Sammy Guevara through this hologram. But really, and it's funny because we just, we just recently did the uh, Halloween Havoc 95 <laughs> review. It's Matt Hardy uh, is behind, and I don't know how you didn't hear this pull up, but Matt Hardy's behind Sammy Guevara in this golf cart driving a monster truck. And I just immediately thought of thought of the sumo monster truck challenge between Hogan and the giant here. And then Hardy proceeds to drive over the golf cart, destroy the golf cart. And then we brawl around outside. They wind up in a ring. As you point out, Santana and Ortiz somehow sneak onto the Hardy compound. Not sure how they got there, but they got there and they sneak (laughs) on there and they, it's a three on one for a little bit. They tack Hardy. Hardy gets on a walkie talkie that he's seen seamlessly positioned right right by ringside and he tells private party to basically get their asses over here and come help but private parties in a car somewhere i'm not sure if they're on the hardy compound or on the road off the hardy compound not really sure what's going on there not really sure why they weren't just hanging out in the house waiting but they're they're actually in a vehicle somewhere on a walkie-talkie within range and man hardy calls them over to get some help they they wait uh they seem to wait for some odd reason i guess waiting for the camera to pan back to them again for their cue and finally it does, and off go private party to this ring in the middle of the, the land, and we get a wrestling match, as you pointed out, between the two tag teams, and it just felt really off, and it was, oh my, I, I don't even know, it felt like the Hardy stuff was more realistic than the wrestling, because why do you have wrestling spots going on during this other nonsense? But that's what we get, and then Roman Candles get brought out. Yes, Roman Candles, the firework. I know Hardy's done this before. And at first, I kind of shit on him here this time because the first Roman candle, he's just shooting it into the sky. And I'm like, oh, what is this horse shit? At least they were shooting at each other last time I saw this. But sure enough, they start shooting it at each other. And the first thing I thought was, oh, man, Sammy Guevara is shooting him at Matt Hardy. He's going to kill him again because it just seems like every time he goes to do a spot with Hardy that's supposed to look like it hurts, it actually does hurt. So yeah. it's, it's actually Guevara who gets it pretty good because – he takes off running away, and he 
drops down on the ground and I, at least one or two of the Roman candles uh, shot out and right into his back on the ground. So I know that couldn't have felt very good. Very dangerous oh, stuff. No. I mean, those that could you could really <laughs> do some damage to somebody's eye or I don't know, man. I, I, I think when you're dealing with fireworks, they're already unpredictable as it is. Probably not a wise idea, but it's just part of the whole nonsense that, that goes on at the Hardy compound. And we wind up out of nowhere with as they're moseying along in the forest or whatever the hell it is there, they run into the hurricane who's been kidnapped by some figure in a black cloak who unmasks to be Gangrel. Yes, Gangrel. I'm still confused why he gets to be the hurricane and outside of WWE, but it's Gangrel that yes, the vampire warrior, he's holding the hurricane. This is never explained what the hell's going on, but he has the hurricane hostage and Gangrel winds up getting knocked away. Hurricane gets dumped into the lake, presumably, and he pops back up as Gregory Helms, the the reporter. And it was just I don't even know. And then back I into the lake, the the lake. What is it? The lake of reincarnation. I don't even remember what the hell it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the lake of reincarnation, or whatever the hell it is. Yep. And he pops back out as the hurricane again, just out of nowhere. And it's it's completely comical, and not in a funny way comical, just stupid, like. This Terrible. is stupid. All of this. Yeah. I didn't want to see Gangrel. It made no sense. Like, that's the well, last Gangrel, person. <laughs> I will say, he did say, like, I try to mentor you and help you, and you shun me, whereas Sammy Guevara has always followed me and listened to me and let me mentor him. So I don't know if maybe Gangrel trained Guevara or what the relationship is there with Gangrel. Maybe there's um, none. Maybe that's just the, the comedy story that, they're telling here. That's the story they're telling. So that, in that sense, it makes sense. But uh, other than that, yeah, I have no idea. Gangrel looked terrible. He gets in the ring and they start fighting too. Yeah, they're they're part of the the tag match with uh, the private party and Ortiz and Santana. Just utter shit. And then the finish, damn near just kills Guevara. Does all the spots that Guevara did to Matt, but actually hurt him this time. He protected him. And I gotta ask, was that blood fake at the end? I think so. Right? Here's my it final notes. Here's my final notes. Everybody's wrestling. Everybody's fighting. All these people on, on the compound. Matt Hardy and Guevara find their way into Hardy's barn or whatever the hell, whatever you want to call that building. They close the door behind them so nobody else can get in, really. And that's when I stopped taking notes. That's when I gave up on the match. I still watched it, but I, I guess I mentally tuned everything else out because other than some sort of a dive through a table, I don't remember anything from this point forward. So I, you're going to have to take over. <laughs> well he took uh they had the two tables set up outside kind of like the spot that they had in the arena where matt really missed the tables um he bumped him off the apron they didn't show it they showed it from like the the back side of the ring that mm -hmm. was in the barn and then the tables were like in front of the, where the door is and they showed him falling off but they didn't actually show him crash through the tables um and then when you they came back around to guevara he had orange looking blood just like pouring on the ground and in the back of his head and from his mouth it looked pretty fake and then he did like a concerto and pinned him and uh, i do that remember was, the concerto now that you bring it up they, yeah. they, they took out the trash they put him in a trash can yes. party in the back of a dodge dakota and senor benjamin drove away with him in the trash he told him to take out his trash i do remember them dumping him in a garbage can as well because they put him in this this uh, normal average size garbage can upside down I found that to be comical. I said, damn, man, that can't feel too good. But I guess Guevara's up for anything, especially after damn near killing Matt Hardy repeatedly. What? what are you really going to say no to anything at this point? 
Yeah, he's making up for the the trouble he's caused lately. <laughs> so we're rolling an hour into the show now. This is where we usually end the show, and I wish we could, but we've already committed to reviewing this, and we still have two matches to go. So we're going to finish. We're going to run over. This is going to be a Power Hour patron exclusive this time. We're going to go over an hour with this Power Hour. It's a Power Hour Plus, Steve. And we're going to go to a, a promo from Lance Archer and Jake the Snake Roberts. They're in an alley or on a street or some shit. I don't really know what was going on here. I'm sick of trying to decipher what the hell Jake's saying through that crack voice he has. I know he's recently come out saying he has COPD. That's fine and dandy, dude. Uh, but it, I'm sure 30 years of smoking crack had a lot to do with that, too, not just the cigarettes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just I don't want to strain my ears to listen to Jake strain his voice. So I really don't even know what they were talking about here. I'm going to presume it was something about going for a belt. I, I don't know. He's basically talking about how Archer needs to be fed pretty much. And uh, they're going to do what it takes to get whatever they want. I mean, uh, uh, I smell, I smell a Ryback lawsuit coming on. Yeah, whatever. It wasn't very good. And I'm with you, man. I kind of tuned it out because Jake, he, 20 seconds in and he, he can't talk anymore and he's taking a break and Archer's just kind of standing there. And then he starts talking and it's five seconds and he's out. And it's, uh, it, it sucks to see, but with some of the comments he made about animal and some of these people that pass unexpectedly the way he craps on him and things like that. I mean, you reap what you sow, buddy. Uh, that's all I can really say. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy to know everything he's been through and he's still, he's still shitting on other people. It's, it's insane to think that I, I don't, I don't really understand the thought process in that I, he, he should be the last person. He should want to be the last person to, talk trash on these other guys that pass away young or have other issues. And I'm not saying that was animals issue here, but you know, it's just no. in, in general, it was just really shitty things that, that he does. And it makes you really not really feel bad. I don't want to feel bad for Jake Roberts. Great promo in his era. Great mind. Maybe even still a great mind. I don't really know. He did this to himself and I can't really have pity on him when he, when all he, you know, when, when he doesn't have pity on anyone else. So yeah, that's perfectly said. We go on with the show though. It's MJF taking on Chris Jericho. And if MJF wins this match, he gets to join the inner circle. And I'm not even going to get into all the nonsense that's been going on on TV lately. And their whatever debonair, whatever the hell shit just sing along. They did and all that horse shit. But uh, <laughs> talk to me about the match, man. What did, what did you think of the match? Cause at this point, I don't know if you saw my notes, some of these matches I had maybe, you know, 10, 12 lines of notes. By the time we got through that Matt Hardy shit and I clocked out when they got to the fucking barn, I was pretty much done <laughs> at this point. And if you see my notes now, these matches go 16 minutes. The main event goes 17 minutes. And I go from writing 12, whatever, even 15 lines of notes for some of these matches to four lines, five lines. <laughs> so you tell yeah. me, what were your thoughts on the MJF and Jericho heel versus heel match? I like MJF the character, and but it's, it, to me, the way he works in the ring, it, it's kind of the Jim Cornette of uh, then the bell rings. <laughs> he's not terrible in the ring. He's just not there yet. He's young, and he's living off his gimmick right now and his mic work. I mean, he's probably the best there is when it comes to that right now. He's very, very solid there. He's ahead of his learning curve, or his he's ahead of his time a little bit when it comes to his work on the mic, and, and I believe him the way he is on the mic. But when he gets in the ring, he's just kind of lackluster to me. Jericho, I've said it for a couple years now. 
I don't like this incarnation of Chris Jericho. He looks like like some of the videos they do where they show him training like MMA and things like that. He looks jacked and in good shape. And then he comes out here and he looks out of shape and blown up and can barely move. And maybe it's because I've been watching Chris Jericho for 30 years and uh, or 25 years. At least. No, dude, he looked and, like shit. I don't care if you saw Chris Jericho for 30 years or that's the first time you ever I saw mean, Chris Jericho. Dude looks like a bloated yeah, yeah. piece of shit right now. And, you know, that's yeah. coming from a Jericho fan. You You couldn't probably have found a bigger Jericho fan than me when he did the heel turn in WCW and those promos all the way up until he jumped to the WWF. I mean, I, I, he didn't even need to ha- have good work rate, the promos and the character alone. I mean, I was yeah. just uh, infatuated with that. Like I tuned in to nitro specifically just to hear the Jericho promo, maybe watch the Goldberg squash, squash, see if he, he murdered somebody with a spear. I mean, other, that was, those were like the main reasons I tuned in to nitro during that yeah. period. So I'm not I'm not trying to hate on Jericho. And he put together no, no. plenty of great matches over the decades, but he looks terrible. He looks like he has no business in the ring. Physically looks like shit. In the face he looks bloated, in the stomach he really looks bloated. He gets blown up here. He's moving in it's not slow motion, but it's he's breaking down the moves like okay i gotta do this move next so i gotta stand here for 10 seconds so that i can build up and build up enough energy to hit this move it's it's very obvious and everything's very basic yeah and i feel like too he's just and i'm getting um, phone calls in the middle of the power hey fuck you buddy you wait your turn oh well, that was my brother i don't think he heard <laughs> yeah so uh, <laughs> uh i just like I said, you kind of cut me off there mid sentence, but I think when you see him and you expect a certain, you have a certain expectation for a Jericho match, and then you get what you get, it just really, it kind of enhances what you're seeing as being more terrible than probably what if you just like you said, if you've never seen Jericho, you could probably watch this and say, okay, he's not bad, he's just old. But I've seen Jericho at his best, and um, this is a far cry from that. So it just enhances it even more how terrible he looks now. Yeah. I do like the Judas effect. Um, it was extremely cool to hear the fans like pick up his music and give him that that sort of uh, appreciation when he came out to the ring. I know he's a heel. Uh, you can even see it in his face that he appreciated that, and uh, he's doing something meaningful, so to speak. So that was cool, but then the bell rang. This was the nothing match. It, it went too long. I did like the finish. I th- they just kind of gave it to Eddie Guerrero a little bit, holding the bat. He lays down catches Jericho off guard and just rolls him up. I thought that was really good. It just fit MJF to a T what his character is. But yeah, this was, this was a nothing match. It was a throwaway. I hated the finish. I absolutely hated the finish. And if it was just a match, I'd agree with you. It made perfect sense. That's what MJF is made would make total sense. There was a promo that he cut going into the pay-per-view that I saw as part of the, the pre-show in the video where he told Jericho, I'm going to do anything to beat you and join the inner circle. And Jericho says, okay, yeah, that's fine. I I would expect nothing less. And this is where he he cuts Jericho off. No, you don't understand. I'm going to do anything. So he says that he emphasizes it again. And that's when it makes you believe what, what do they have planned for the finish? Because he didn't just say it. He said it twice. So now he means it. You know what? It's not just right. And so the finish is, hey, what was it, a bat? I don't even remember. Was it a baseball bat? What the hell was in the ring? I don't yeah. even remember. Yeah, okay. Jericho had a bat. Yeah, and, and, and then they do the Eddie Guerrero spot where the referee thinks somebody's used, oh, I dropped the bat, and then he gets rolled up, and they go into the finish, and I'm like, that was him doing anything? 
to win. I, I was really lackluster for me. I, I hated the finish. And like I said, man, Jericho just looked, I didn't even have to watch Jericho in the match. Watching Jericho in the uh, the video, the promo leading up, doing the interview, talking about this match, he looked like shit there. Like, he just looks terrible. Like, do something with the hair and, and drop a few. I, I don't even know that he's taking this completely seriously at this point. Uh, it's sad yeah, to even say. His, even his promos, it just feels like very not it just doesn't it seems like something's off i don't know what it is it just looks it, like he's really being he's being his normal self to me he's, he's just being quick-witted and, and humorous but not in a way that it gets the wrestling character over just just in the way he would talk to you outside of the business is the way it's yeah. it comes to me especially on commentary lately anyway the the por- portions i've heard yeah i don't i don't know it's it's uh it's kind of sad to see jericho in the state of affairs that he's in right now yeah Especially and then pushing himself in such a prominent position, we're we're in a world of hurt here. As the young bucks continue to put themselves over, Kenny Omega puts himself over, and Chris Jericho puts himself over. Cody Rhodes the only one doing a job on this pay per view, and we end the match. And so now I guess that means MJF can be part of the inner circle. I I would assume Wardlow could also join the inner circle. Something's not going to work work out here. There's clearly some issues going on, and Jack Swagger and Wardlow after the match. They stand with their, their respective men, Swagger with Jericho, or Jake Hager, sorry, and Wardlow with MJF, and they they keep eyeballing each other. So something's going to come to pass there. Something's going to come to blows. I'm curious to see where this storyline goes. And uh, we go into the main event so we can end this fucking thing, and I can put this shit out, out of my mind, hopefully, for fucking ever. <laughs> and... I need to get through this match because this match, AEW heavyweight champion John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose, taking on Eddie Kingston. And I'm going to do their backstory here, and then I'm going to tell you what I thought, and then we'll, we'll get, what, get, get what you thought out of this and take this, wrap this shit up and, and take it home. So the story <laughs> here is, plan. yes, so the story here is there's been, there's been 18 years of backstory between these two. These guys were both on the indie circuit together for I guess most of the last 18 years, Eddie Kingston thinks John Moxley's forgotten where he came from. And Kingston has always been here. He's always been on the Indies. He's always been getting handed the, the shitty situation in every promotion he goes to. Moxley in the uh, video package in the pre-show says Eddie Kingston blames everyone but himself for everything. And that's the difference between the two. Moxley owns up to things. Kingston blames everyone else. I guess King. He makes reference to things I didn't follow, so I don't know, but I guess Kingston at some point must have uh, punched out a promoter and, and a variety of other things Moxley brings up during the interview. I don't really know the, the backstory. I don't get Eddie Kingston, and, I, and this is probably where we get, you know, we, we get killed here by, by fans because apparently, you know, he's, he's beloved by the indie fans and the indie wrestlers and, and all that good stuff. I just don't get it. I think he has a... He has a good mind promo wise. I don't like his delivery. I don't know that he can he can really control that. That's just how he speaks. He looks like a heroin addict in the face. And, you know, he's got the belly and his gear absolutely <laughs> looks stupid on him. I keep waiting for his shorts to fall down before I realize they must be sewn into the into the singlet. I think he looks like shit. The fact that he's out here in a main event, I don't get it. When I've seen him on TV, I thought this guy's going to be nothing. When I saw him in the Royal Rumble and he came down to the last two or three guys, last pay-per-view, I said, why is this fucker still in here? Then I realized he runs a, a, a family or, or whatever the hell they're called. He, he runs a, a, a stable now in AEW. He, he runs it. 
Like to me, he's like the bitch of the group when I'm looking, if I'm just looking now and I don't know anything about these guys, he looks like the guy that's going to go out there and do the job every week. Instead, he's the leader. And then I'm like, okay, I could see this guy's like the manager guy, like the Kevin Sullivan that comes in and works when he needs to and stays on the side. Otherwise, no, he's the main inventor of the group. Are you shitting me? Is what I was thinking as I was, you know, learning all this shit going into the pay-per-view. And they do this gimmick where Bryce Rensburg, who I actually, I, I know Bryce from way back in the Indies long ago, 15 years ago, maybe more. And so he's a good guy in, in real life. So he, good, I don't know about him now, but I'm sure he's still the same old cool dude. But I guess the story is he really gotten close and it's legit. Because once again, Excalibur has to go down the story of the, the past history between Remsburg and, and Eddie Kingston and starts telling these real stories that happened between them in real life and I think Jim Ross is just like, okay, dude, shut the fuck up. But so the story is, is the last time these two met Moxley and Kingston, Remsburg was also the referee there and he called for the bell. Kingston made a point that he didn't tap out. He didn't say I quit. And so that's why this match is an I quit match. Remsburg claimed to him in a, in a promo that followed the matches. There are friends outside of the business, inside the business. He has a job to do. And he called the match because he feared for Kingston's well-being. Kingston was, knocked out from the what they're calling the bulldog choke that Ambrose does. I don't know how a choke is legal in a normal match. This being an I quit match, maybe a little different story, but that's the story they're telling. So they bring Remsburg back as a referee here again. I did notice that. So some continuity there, and I'm cool with that, but I don't get this Eddie Kingston shit at all. You're not going to get any disagreement here. <laughs> My first note for this match, and I don't care how good the story is or, or, or what the story is. I'm not buying Eddie Kingston in this position at all. No. Um, I'm pretty sure Eddie Kingston was the guy that was running, I think it was Santana and Ortiz against Conan up in Impact Wrestling, the, L, the Battle of the LAXs. Um, he was the voice there. I know he's an NWA power doing the, the, the voice there for some people. Um, so he, he's kind of made his mark with the, uh, with the microphone, so to speak. And uh, I think Excalibur mentioned that the, the gear that he wore on this show was in honor of Misawa. I think it was uh, the green. They mentioned also, like, sweet and sour and, Larry Sweeney and, yeah. and things like that. But he also dedicated the match to Tracy Smothers. So. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole, um, a whole laundry list of things that they tied in here, which is cool. The continuity and things like that; those little things that they do pick up on is nice to see, and it enhances any story. But the product um, in the it, ring and in this match, the match man. itself is. I'm just. I was never a huge fan of Dean Ambrose. I didn't like the crazy gimmick that he played. I didn't care for him that much in the Shield. I thought he was the third best behind Roman and Seth. I thought Seth was the better wrestler. I thought Roman was the more believable talent uh, as far as what they were trying to portray. Uh, and I thought Ambrose was kind of just there. Uh, I never seen him as a leader or anything like that. And it just feels like he left the WWE. So you can go back to his CZW days and his wrestle, wrestle garbage death matches. Yeah, because that's, 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 the that's the unfortunate that part. That's the unfortunate part because I'm the, I'm the opposite of you. I love Dean Ambrose in the WWE, at least a period of Dean Ambrose in the WWE. Maybe not so much the Shield stuff, but when he broke away, and basically got himself over and was almost kind of like, uh, they say the new Roddy Piper. I mean, take it for what you will, but some of his promos were just really, really good. And some of his ideas in his promos were really, really good. And some of the matches he was able to do where he could take bumps into 20 chairs, but then go back in the ring and have these really good matches. 
I was, he was probably my favorite worker in the company at one point for there for a little while. And then near the end, he kind of moved away from some of the things he was doing before his whole thing. Changed. Obviously he didn't want to be there anymore, but he was still going over all the way, all the way to the end though. So he got that over. That had to kill Vince, but so he winds up leaving and he goes to AEW and he's going to be the savior. And if it was the Dean Ambrose that I knew, I was, I was, I'm like, dude, this could work. Uh, he's not going to draw Hogan ratings, but I don't even know if he's going to draw, you know, he's not going to bring a whole fan base with him, but having a guy of that ability in your main event gives you instant credibility to me. That's my thought when he comes in and they do the, uh, dirty deeds on the, on the poker chips, which look cool. So great way to bring him in. And then out of, and he even does like they do another dirty deeds through, uh, a coffee, a glass table, another another cool spot. Dangerous, but cool. So I, I'm totally buying this at first, but he has his first match. And forgive me, I don't remember his matches uh, from AEW. I did watch them. I just don't remember who, was it, what, was when. Was it the Lights Out match against Omega? Where they had that giant netting of barbed No, wire. no, no. That wasn't his first match. His first match was just like a, a wrestling match. I have no idea. All I remember thinking was, well, that was flat. That was underwhelming. And I made every excuse I could because I had seen enough Dean Ambrose matches that I liked that I, I made the excuses. I don't know what it was. He was having an off night. I didn't really even blame. I, I know. I don't remember who he worked. Maybe it was Omega. Maybe it was someone else. But I, I don't remember blaming the other person. He's like, well, that person sucks. So that's why it sucked. I just remember he had an off night. That was what I told myself. But I also said, I hope this gets better. And then he started the gimmick matches where he wanted to go through, you know, uh, mouse traps and, and barbed wire, gimmick barbed wire nets, or maybe it wasn't gimmicked, I don't remember. But all these stupid things, and I'm like, that was terrible. But at least yeah. he got it out of his system. That's what I told myself, because he wanted to go back to that combat zone shit. And I said, well, at least it's out of his system, because you can't really do anything. He did everything he could do in one garbage match. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But clearly that, that wasn't what wasn't he was it. doing. Yeah, that wasn't it. He continues to find reasons to consistently do these gimmick matches where he doesn't have to wrestle or put on a real wrestling match. And he's become what these other guys already are. Instead of trying to come into this company and help these guys evolve into real stars into WWF style, and I don't mean the boring shit, I just mean mentality-wise, how to work, how to tell a story. Instead of helping all these guys evolve into everything he's learned over the last whatever, however many years he's been, ten, well, I'll call it 10 years. Instead of doing that, he's devolved back to their genre of wrestling. So yeah. it's like instead of bringing everyone else up, up to where his level should have been, he's happily lowered himself back down to that indie garbage wrestling shit, which is what this match was. And my notes for this match... And this is pathetic because this is your main event, your heavyweight championship match. And I quit match, which on theory, I mean, in theory and on paper, I don't care if Eddie Kingston sucks or if he's good. And I quit match. If you tell the story properly, it can be a very entertaining match. This was not that match. My notes for this match are gimmicks and whatever, period. Bleh, period. Bulldog choke. Eh. Those are my notes for this fucking match. A 17 and a half minute match. Those were my notes. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I, I was not – I never – like you said, I quit match. You can buy into it and get into it, and the story will captivate you and draw you in. I never got drawn in with this. Um, it just seemed like one spot after another. Let's do one gimmick after another. I, I will say the thumbtacks and then doing the rubbing alcohol was pretty cool. Uh, that, had to, that shit had to burn. You know what putting alcohol in an open wound does? So you can relate to that. If that uh, was alcohol. You see, I, I go. I go back to. I go back to the first month or so. I was. I was with my wife when I first met her, and uh, she would. Uh, back then, she would actually sit down when I watched wrestling, and she would. She would watch it with pretend like she likes it. And I had WrestleMania six on, just the opening, and Rick Martel comes out and he's spraying arrogance into the air. And she goes, "I wonder what that smells like." And I said, "Well, it probably smells like water, honey." And I ruined it for her. <laughs> I gave away the secret to the business. You know, like what. what I said, it probably smells like water because that's what it is. And she, you know, didn't even think of that, didn't even process that 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 was a possibility, you know? And so that's why when I saw the alcohol bottle, when everyone's like, oh my God, it's alcohol. I thought, is is, is it really alcohol? I mean, it's clear. <laughs> is it, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't be. And knowing them too, it probably was. It probably was. But yeah, my, my point is, is like, there's no way to prove it. So it was just really a, a shit prop for me. But, you know, I'm a jaded, you know, wrestling fan who's seen, you know, pretty much everything. So that could be my, my issue as well. I liked it. I mean, even if it's not, like, I could suspend my belief enough to think, okay, that shit would hurt if it really was real. Um, especially with all the holes he had in his back from the tax. The, the main issue I had with this entire match was the barbed wire. Uh, Kingston took it off the bat, and it didn't even cut his hand. Ambrose wrapped it around his arm to do the bulldog choke, and it didn't even cut his, his arm. So you could tell right there, like how how gimmicked is this barbed wire if it's not even cutting his arm while he's supposedly choking this dude out with it? Yeah, you and it could have been it could have been legit barbed wire. Uh, they just cut the tips off too. It it could have been that that situation. I know they've, they've I mean, done that in the past at, as well. At the end, he's like looking at his arm. Like, okay, where's the blood? At? I should be bleeding. Like right. he's trying to get it to pop up, and I'm like, nah, bro, it's not there. It's not happening. So like, I, they was trying to make it brutal and look bad. Uh, because of the barbed wire, but it wasn't even cutting his arm, so I wasn't even buying it. I, I wasn't even buying that it was real barbed wire. Real or not, I don't care if the tips are cut off or not. It, it looked like shit. At least let yourself get cut a little bit. I'm not saying have real barbed wire out there, but put something on there to where you can actually get little cuts to make it look more believable. But I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't care for this match. I, I don't. I wasn't buying Kingston. He did nothing in that match to make me buy into him. I don't care if I ever see him again. Moxley mentioned something like blood and guts. And that, that's another issue I have with these guys. They can't stop talking about WWE. Like you, you don't, you left the place. You didn't want to be there. So move on, move on with your life, move on with your career. And just shut the hell up. You don't like them. Don't worry about it. Just move on. And yeah. it seems like these guys don't, they can't get past the fact that they're dealing with WWE. And um, as long as you keep on referencing them, keep on talking about them, keep on, Mention them in your podcast and your interviews with everybody you talk to. I uh, don't have any issues with them like Cody does all the time. He always gives them props and things like that. And that's fine. But when you're constantly asked about them, then they don't care about your product. I'd be like, look, you're going to ask me about AEW or you're not, I'm not going to talk to you. Uh, I'm done talking about WWE and just move on. But I don't think anybody in this damn company can do that. Just move on. Yeah. Well, so we kicked things off with Omega over Adam Page for the number one contendership. Good wrestling match. I mean, it was it was fun. It was entertaining. I'll, I'll say that much. We have Orange yeah. Cassidy over John Silver. 
Uh, I thought it went too long. This belonged on the pre-show. It just felt bland to me. Nothing necessarily terribly wrong with it. It just, it didn't click for me, but it was, it was there. Darby Allen over Cody Rhodes to win the TNT title. Good psychology, good match. So no issues yeah. really with that one. Uh, Sheeta over Nyla Rose had no business on the show. And if they had to have this on the show, 14 minutes was just entirely too long. They could have done this in six or seven minutes and uh, maybe hidden a whole lot of, uh, Nyla Rose wouldn't have blown up the same anyway. So FTR lose the belts to the Young Bucks. And that match went damn near 30 minutes. So a lot of spots, not necessarily my way of booking, but they, they gave you more entertainment. And I could see if the fans that like this sort of thing, that's what they like, then uh, I'm sure they were really pleased with, with this match between the two teams. I just wish FTR had stuck around a little, little longer if, in fact, they are leaving. Elite deletion, this is where things just go completely awry. Like, I can't find one single good thing to salvage from this match. I don't even know that there was anything in here that I really found funny as I had in years past. Not really good at all. Everything about it sucked. It killed the show. They followed that with MJF and Jericho, which was like an old school style match. Jericho can't work the modern day style. He can't keep up. He looks like shit. And I, I, I didn't really care for the heel versus heel dynamic in this particular match anyway. And like I said, after what was promised, I didn't really care for the finish either. Flat match for me. I could have done without it. And anything following that Hardy match, it was going to be a goner with me probably anyway. And then we go to the main event here. Moxley gets the win over Kingston. I quit match. 17 and a half minutes with the bulldog choke once more. And like I said, my notes were gimmicks and whatever bulldog choke. Eh, I mean, really says it all for me. I I was very underwhelming and the last three matches specifically really didn't deliver for me. And that's scary because those should be the matches that do deliver. And this mat, this pay-per-view went damn near four hours, entirely too long. And that's the issue going back early on AEW, they weren't getting enough guys on the pay-per-view. So my original gripe was pay-per-view wasn't long enough. I need to see more of these talents get over now that the, now that we're here a year later, at least since TVs come, come about four hours is entirely too long to see all of these guys. All these guys don't need 20 minute matches. I don't need to see Eddie Kingston in a 20 minute match. And if you're going to do a garbage match, I don't need to see anybody in a 20 minute garbage match. I don't need Chris Jericho out there for 16 minutes blown up. I don't need Nyla Rose out there for 14 minutes blown up. I don't need 21 minutes of elite deletion horse shit unless you're going to do it better than this. So I I was very underwhelmed, especially with the second half of the show. And uh, I'm just grateful now after an hour and a half that this is behind us. I'm with you there, man. And um, I did see on the internet that this is the best pay-per-view of the year, uh, according to some people, some websites. I don't know. I can't remember who it was. Maybe one of them Facebook ads or spam that people post. But there's people out there that think this is the best pay-per-view of the year. Also, um, I don't doubt it. Like I told you, I read two reviews. And I'm not shitting you when I tell you damn near every match on this show got... Nyla Rose got three stars. And damn and near every other year. match on this show got four stars or better. I don't know. I I, I'm not that out of tune. I, I'm not that out of sync with with current product to where I don't recognize a good match when I see it. And there were a few matches here where I had my, my, I saw flaws that I didn't care for, but at the same time I could see why it was enjoyable. But then there were things on here that just had no business being trotted out here. I would love to see what they did for like hell in a cell just to compare, because that that sounds like some AW Kool-Aid where they can't do no wrong. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's another big issue for me. Uh, I don't want to get into it right now, but it, it just feels like they can do no wrong. So because they're just going to be forgiven or it's AW. So people just accept it for what it is and it's the alternative. So they love it. I wasn't feeling this show. Uh, I'm glad I didn't uh, have my friends come over to pay for it. I watched it after the fact, but uh, yeah, not not very good. It was not like out of outside of maybe two matches. I, I would go back and watch the FTR Young Bucks match and maybe Adam Page and Omega. Everything else, no desire. Yeah, and I have no desire to ever talk about or watch this entire pay per view again. Even the good stuff, uh, I was just burned out after all of the bad stuff. So uh, yeah. there were a couple of good things on there. You mentioned them and that's fine and dandy, but I don't need to see those again in order to live my wrestling fandom. <laughs> it will continue on watching plenty of other things as part of the wrestling memory grenade, Monday warfare and, and all, all sorts of other forms of wrestling entertainment. Uh, Steve, we're already 30 minutes beyond where we normally are with the power hour. So I'm going to wrap this thing up right now. And uh, that's enough AEW talk for a while anyway. Thank God they don't have another pay-per-view until at least February. So there's there's that going for us anyway. And hopefully we skip that one unless something drastically <laughs> changes between now and then. But, uh, Steve, man, thanks for thanks for being here. I, I, I thank you for talking me into doing this one, but I don't know that I want to thank you for that. Just four hours of <laughs> AEW was just too much for me. I can understand the sentiment, but I feel like we need to – broaden our horizons we need to be the voice of many genres not just a certain genre so if the fans enjoy it if our patrons enjoy it then we can do it i, I feel like so that's why i chose it or that's well, at, why least I, I, at least i get a, a three-month layoff from it I'll, I'll say that much i need that Absolutely. at least that long to get over this shit and hopefully by then <laughs> eddie kingston's somewhere else on the card <laughs> probably will be we got Moxley and Omega. That should be solid as long as they don't do gimmick matches. No, now you just spoiled it. You gave them the idea if they didn't have it already. But anyways, guys, I, I guess we're going to wrap up here. We're going to call it quits for the night. I got a phone call earlier. I need to return anyway. So, uh, Steve, once again, thank you for being here. And thank you guys, our patrons on the power patron tier or higher that are listening to us right now as part of the power hour. It was the AEW full gear review. We hope you guys enjoyed it. I promise I'll try to do a little better with the backstory uh, and the matches going forward in, in the AEW. Uh, this kind of, I don't want to say it caught me off guard, but I really wasn't prepared. I didn't realize there was so much going on uh, other than, other than the, the matches themselves. But thank you guys once again. Thank you, Steve. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>